The Shroud of Turin is one of the most researched and studied relics in church history and profoundly impacts many who encounter its mystery. As a person of faith, looking at it through the eyes of faith, um, I don't think it can help but, uh, but touch your heart. Something that we can look on, not only to bolster our faith in those moments of weakness, but also to deepen our faith and our appreciation, our intimacy with Christ. Join Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry as they examine the science of the shroud through the lens of faith. Really interesting scientific information that I, we didn't know about, uh, like the pollen from all the different regions of the world. That's all, as the shroud traveled around, it picked that up. Some of the mites, uh, things like that was really interesting to me. I mean, this made you really want to believe it a lot more. It's impressive. Like, humanly, I don't think, like, that is another level of love. It's not a... a, a I'm going to see people like, oh, I love you, I'll give you a chocolate. No. I'm giving you more than my life. I'm giving you my suffering. Asking both experts and disciples, who do you say I am? Um, as far as who the man of the shroud is, I, as a, as a person of faith and kind of reviewing the evidence there, it, it seems that a convincing argument can be made that it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Visit patchworkheart.org slash shroud to learn more and get exclusive behind-the-scenes updates for your support. Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Anne DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Sewing Hope. I am Bill Snyder. It's wonderful to be with you, as always. Uh, you're listening here on Patchwork Heart Radio, or you're watching on Patchwork Heart Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. As you can see, uh, I am traveling, so uh, I am uh, dealing with Internet uh, that may be less than uh, useful for uh, broadcast. But as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Anne DeSantis. Anne, how are you? And uh, tonight I'm excited because we have a wonderful guest uh, joining us. We absolutely do, Bill. I'm so excited about this guest because, you know, we made a special exception because we were kind of in the middle of a podcast series and we weren't really going to be interviewing guests until the fall, but Melissa was just so special that we wanted to do kind of a um, special edition <laughs> of our podcast series. And so, Melissa, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sewing Hope podcast. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for this opportunity. I really am the connection. I, the Holy Spirit has connected me with you guys, and I could not be more proud and honored to have this moment of time to talk with you guys. Yes, we feel the exact same way. And I would love to read your bio because you have an amazing bio. Um, it says, with almost a decade of sob in sobriety, Melissa, following her call to love and support, those whose lives have been impacted by addiction. She believes her divine invention was meant to not only spare her own life, but to also be used as a conduit to connect the lost and broken with hope and healing for a chance at a better way of life. 
And now to the actual bio, after more than two decades of substance abuse, multiple failed attempts at sobriety, numerous arrests, a revolting door of treatment facilities, and a rock bottom that resulted in a near death on, on her basement floor, Witherspoon has finally achieved long-term sobriety and is eager to share with the world that addicts can and do recover life mm -hmm. after substance abuse. And it is possible, as you say, I'm sober, so now what? Provides a glimpse into the mind of an addict. What is it like to hit rock bottom and climb your way out? It delivers important information about addiction, relapse, and relapse prevention. Mm -hmm. Using the author's personal story, this book is not only written for the addict, but also the loved ones of the addict. It brings hope and healing and love to those who feel lost and broken. And then a quote here it says that Melissa tells a story that is well written, hard to put down. Her book, I'm Sober, So Now What, speaks deeply to the addict and those who have little experience with addiction. That's from Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the best selling author of the Five Love Languages series. And I know of him, and he's a pretty big author. Yeah, so, he's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he is. You are amazing. So let's start with the beginning. Let's just start with your story. Please tell us how, what the beginning of your life was like and how it led into the addiction. Well, the, my addiction is spanned over um, 20 years. You know, I had a pretty normal upbringing. Um, I was in a middle-class, nice, you know, family, a Catholic family. And um, we, you know, there was a lot of love and there was a lot of passion. We have an Italian background. There's, um, you know, there was quiet moments and there was loud moments. There was a lot of fun. Um, I was a very awkward child and I did not fit in very well. I just didn't. As, and the more I tried, the more awkward I would become. And so that is the um, racket I made up in my head about myself that so I was the awkward one right so we 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 mold early on in life who we are who we think we are based off of circumstances and things that happen and so um that's who I just kind of fit into in the in the big grand family that I came from and um somewhere in my teen years late teen years I got in with a crowd that introduced me to um, a lot of stuff, stuff that I was never exposed to, stuff that my parents weren't exposed to. So I don't even think that they knew it was happening right um, underneath them because it was foreign, you know, stuff that maybe you wouldn't even see on uh, HBO or cable television. <laughs> it was R-rated. And so um, I got in with that crowd and I decided that that is where I fit in. And I finally found who I found a, my calling. I was gonna run with this crowd and I was gonna live a fast life and I was gonna get things fast and easy and free. And um, that's how my addiction um, paths began really. Um, and I had from very early on with that crowd faced some very heavy and dark and gross things that I write about in my book. I do share that. Um, I want it's important to me to let your listeners or viewers know that I don't, this is not one of those quit literature books where I, you know, spill the deeds and give all the dirty, gross details and, um, 
you can kind of live vicariously through that. That's not what the book is, is about. I do share enough of the details so you understand that um, through great pain and heartache um, can't, comes redemption. And so I had to qualify who I was. I can't say I'm going to tell you how it worked for me um, in recovery unless I share with you how I got to the point where I would need recovery, right? So, but I did, I had a, a long um, couple of decades of choices and circumstances and, and through my addiction and the more, it was a rabbit hole is how I describe it in my book. And I felt I was falling down this rabbit hole further and further and further until I thud hit the bottom. And um, that was where I, I had no will left to live essentially. And um, I, I did cry out in what I believed was my last hour um, to Mother Mary to take me away because I couldn't do it anymore. I, I was turning to who I believe was my, you know, our ultimate mother and would she relieve me of the pain that I had in my heart and the pain that I was causing other people. And it's interesting because um, I had turned my back on the faith um, on any kind of religion and on God for so long, I, I say um, that drugs and alcohol became my higher power. It's really what happens when you're in active addiction. And um, but at my what I thought was my you know final breath, I turned to God and I turned to Mary and I asked for um, to to be taken away. And I got the opposite. What I believe was a divine intervention that led me. Um, slowly, slowly and painstakingly day by day, one day at a time um, into recovery. And so uh, now I am on, um, you know, in November, it'll be nine years that I'll have um, sobriety. And um, I wrote a book about it. I was called to write a book about it to share recover out loud and share my story. Um, so others that are feeling lost or broken or even it's written also to the loved ones of um, the addicted because they're they are just as important uh, to the recovery process, if not more. Um, so I share it with them to let them know that there is hope, that there is a father, a loving father that is merciful and, um, and, and wants us to feel love and to be connected and to turn to him. And, and to follow him. And so that's what it is. It's a my journey of hope and healing. That is so beautiful. And you're giving healing just by telling that story because I know that someone is listening right now and thinking that they need God and they need to find their way through addiction. Mm -hmm. um, would you be able to offer maybe one or two words of wisdom for those people who might be thinking, you know, I want to find healing, but I just don't know how. Yeah. So maybe they're not even people of faith. And so you had somewhat of a seed of faith. But what about for those people who uh, don't really believe in God or the Catholic Church? Right. So um, and there are a lot of people that are non-believers that are are in desperate need of recovery or are, are walking through recovery. I have a lot of my friends that have very different paths. We all have one common purpose, which is to get sober and then help other people get sober. But how we choose to go that route is our free will, right? Okay, so 
Um, if, if you are in a place where you are needing sobriety, you're, you're sober curious, they call it, if you're looking for that freedom, that new way of life, and you are not ready to commit to um, a higher power in which I call God, you will be able to find a power greater than yourself through walking the steps of recovery and it is revealed to you along the way i write about in my book um my spiritual awakening and how it came at the hour of the of, of my dad's death and um you know you would think something about losing your father would be a very um tragic and sad thing and it was you know it was a great loss i still feel a great loss from my dad's death but the beautiful thing that came out of it was God revealed to me um, that I have a purpose and I, I wasn't talking to God at the time. Okay. So I might've turned to Mary or God at the hour of what I thought was my last breath, but I, I was dry drunk for about a, uh, my first year before my spiritual awakening. I was just doing the steps, doing the next right thing, doing one day at a time. So um, I, I would start to see things and things would be revealed to me that were clearly greater than me. They were happening around me and they were being revealed to me and they were bigger than anything, you know, that I could be in charge of or in control of. And through sobriety and not drinking sure maybe i wasn't you know where i am right now in my recovery where i'm um you know i feel very connected spiritually i um was at least sober so there's a veil that is put over you when you are choosing to use substances whether it be alcohol or drugs um and that veil blocks you from anything that um can be your higher power you know, there's people believe in a lot of things that uh, are greater than themselves. They don't all call them God. We, they don't all um, believe in the things that Catholic, the Catholic faith teaches you. But that veil with the alcohol and the drugs, when it's in front of you, it blocks you from any of that. Any of that. You can't believe in anything. And so you are, um, you're forced to kind of work on your own on your own will and you are your greater power but we cannot live that way it's it's been shown time and time again that that is what leads to isolation and to our failure and our addiction so um that veil will be lifted when you start taking the steps to kind of give yourself freedom and clarity and then things kind of come they'll come to you and um there's a lot of ways that you can get there there's a 12-step program um there that's the way that that's the route that I took. A lot of people are in um, recovery through um, their faith or through different religion, uh, religious programs. They're, the great thing about this day and age in recovery is there are so many options and so many tools. Um, you could just go in and Google, I want to get sober and a, like a thousand different options would pop up, right? You don't have to do a lot of research like maybe we did even 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So um, the, the biggest thing is, is the choice to not use just for that day and then do the next right thing the next day. And you take it one day at a time 
And um, when that veil starts to lift, then you're able to connect with whatever power is greater than yourself and it will be revealed, revealed mm -hmm. to you. It will be clear. Such good advice. Um, I know that people who are parents might be watching this podcast right now and they're thinking to themselves, how can I guard my kids against the drug culture, the alcohol culture? I don't know whether you got involved as a teen, correct? You yes, teen? initially. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you think there's some kind of advice for parents that like signs that they can watch out for that yeah. you would recommend that they need to try to act? Because, you know, if they're a minor, the parents really do have that great responsibility. Yeah. To watch out for the kids. Yeah, they do. You know, it's been for ages and ages and ages. Realist, let's just be realistic, that parents think that they have control over their children's choices. And the teenage years, especially, is when it is the most difficult because we're still responsible for these people that don't have this the cognitive ability to um, make all their choices and decisions, but they have their big girl and boy pants on. And so they believe that they do have the ability to make those decisions. Um, and we want to give them freedom and space to be their own individuals. And we want to grow and develop trust with our children, right? But we also are obligated to um, kind of still steer them through the right um, path into their young adulthood the the cold hard truth as a parent you are never going to be able to control whether your child chooses to use substance and you can monitor their phone you can give them a curfew you can do all kinds of things the the when they are out and about and they are doing things in in this day and age in this society also with as access to as many things just like i talked about with recovery there's access to a lot of things that gets people into stuff they don't probably shouldn't be in um my suggestion to those parents is um well always of course prayer <laughs> prayer prayer is always a good go-to but is to talk openly and that is hard because what you have to do is you have to kind of put your ego to the side and um, be realistic with your with your children and say and you know it's appropriate at, um, conversations and and um, being realistic at different ages it, it would have to adjust you wouldn't talk to a 10 year old the same way you would talk to a 15 year old or the same way you would talk to an 18 year old right um, but I, I know with my kids, they can call me at any time or they can come and talk to me at any time because I have shared with them um, that I'm in recovery and that I've made bad choices. And, you know, the 10 year old knows that I, I was in trouble and that there was legal issues and that I was sick and that I was in treatment and I was away and that my older children are mad because they saw things that are not good my um 24 year old or my uh, 21 year old my 17 year old they know details they know that i know what this looks like when you leave the house and you go to a party they know because we talk openly about those things so i want them to know that they're not 
treading in those waters or have that maybe could stumble into those waters on their own, that their lifeline, their leash is still here with me. I'm still there. I'm still available. I'm not judgmental. Whatever they're going to walk through, I'm going to have to trust that I've given them enough information and enough support that while they're out on their own, that they're going to make the right decisions. And when they don't, because they, they might not, that they can come to me and talk to me about it so we can maneuver through what that looks like and, and how we move forward together. Hmm. That's beautiful. And I love how you've integrated your experiences to your children, but in a really positive way so that they can grow and make right choices on their own. Yeah. Um, so that, or make bad choices right. and know that it's okay. Because if you're honest and you, you're, you you know you're trying to work through it and learn from it you can you can become stronger you can come out better on the other side you really can yeah experience does not always come from just always doing things the right way right right we're human right we we do sin and we make mistakes yes. and we can go back and be forgiven and start again That's um, right. let's yeah. talk about your spirituality too let's talk about um you know, obviously you're Catholic, your, your Catholic faith means so much to you that you're going yeah. in this direction. Um, right. Can you tell us more about like your prayer life or just some advice for listeners about how you stay close to God, whether it be, I don't know if you intercede to a certain saint or if you're into uh, maybe going to a daily adoration or something like that, but tell us more. Yeah, I like it all. I do it all. <laughs> a little bit of I dabbled all of it. And I say it the biggest benefit of working at a, at a Holy Family is um, is because I have so much exposure to that stuff. And, and I write about in my book, one of the chapters, it's called Welcome Home. I write about how I ended up at Holy Family, where I met the priest that believed that I was being called to write about my story to recover out loud. Um, but I believe deep down inside that God knew that that is where I would need to be. So I would have um, a, a, a large or vast array of options to explore my faith and my spirituality. So um, I'm one of those, I'm a people pleaser. And so I would put a lot of things before myself and in recovery, you can't do that. It has to be first. And that was always going to be a hard struggle for me to balance. And when he had me work at Holy Family, um, it gave me so many chances. Like I can go to mass. Um, I'm at church every day. I can go to mass at lunch or in the morning before I begin my work day. Um, the parishioners that come in and out and they share their stories or what they're going through that ministry and itself is beautiful and it just helps my um, my belief in loving one another it helps it grow it really does it keeps me fueled but um, I share in my book a few of the prayers that I've said consistently along the way through my recovery and um, I share that what it looks like to pray when you don't know how to pray um, I talk about how, you know, it's like dating somebody you don't um, when you're developing a relationship with prayer or um, your higher power, who I call God. Um, it's awkward, 
you know, you see other people do it and they're in the pew and they're very devout and they're doing all the right stuff. And you sit there and you think, God, I want to be connected like that, but I don't know how. And, um, maybe, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're doing the rosary. Maybe I'll try that. And you just kind of wobble through and try and fumble and figure it out. But, um, I've connected very early on with some prayers. The 12 step program every, begins every meeting with the Lord's prayer. Um, there, you know, I have some other ones that I do morning, night and throughout the day I have, of course, there's the serenity prayer. I mean, that takes like two seconds to say, and for some reason, every time it's just, uh, immediate peace. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change to, you know, so it's very, very, uh, quick prayer. Um, but if you say, if you kind of get into the habit, you form your own, oh, it's 11 o'clock. Let me go get a glass of water. And then as you're walking, you know, you don't have to do this big ordeal where you go in and you kneel and you sit in church throughout the day. You can have your intimate conversations with God as you're walking down the road and nobody has any idea. These different little prayers, um, will come to you as you explore them. You can, um, you know find all kinds of stuff i offer some for people if they want to give it a shot and see how they connect with it but um it's it keeps you in check right so if you say when as soon as you get up i used to think who wants to pray when they get up like i have to get the kids to school and i gotta brush my teeth and i was like well i can do it while i brush my teeth so every morning while i'm brushing my teeth i have um you know i have a prayer that I use a morning prayer that's in my book and and so I do that throughout the day and I have check-ins and sometimes somebody will walk in and I'm staring at the wall and they're like oh I bet she's praying right now (laughs) or if I'm driving down the road I could be pulling into McDonald's I've got to get something to eat well before I got to eat I've got to nourish my soul right I have some prayer time so it's not as hard people make things more difficult than they have to be and i say this about addicts especially we really make things complicated we overthink we make things hard harder than they have to be prayer is so easy and it is such an easy um uh, avenue to connect with with god or with um, you know meditation a lot of people um earth mother earth is their higher power they connect by through meditation prayer meditation is what keeps me grounded and connected and i hear i hear god i can hear him and and i talk about that not in a way that you and i are talking right now right there is a voice that is inside and i have learned to that i recognize it and um, I ignore it sometimes because I'm a naughty little girl. <laughs> sometimes I go, no, no, wait, that's not, I don't hear you, God, turn that off. But I can hear it. And it scared me when I first started getting prayerful. I It would scare me. And I was talking to this priest, um, Father Peter. He is the one that called me to write the book. Um, and I would say, I shut my office door and I said, I don't want you to think i'm crazy or i'm back drinking again but i think i can hear god and or the holy spirit what is it i hear this and it is so profound and when i follow what it tells me it's right and it's like instant and i and like and it's, I look outside and i'm getting talking about it because it's so cool and he was like yes you're connected we all can be you know it's not you're not some gifted special person um go open up like a psychic medium hotline like this is a gift that he gives us and he uses the holy spirit to commute you know 
to, to speak to us. The Holy Spirit wrote, wrote the book, I'm Sober, So Now What? A Journey of Hope and Healing. I have no doubt in my mind. I am a high school dropout who had only obtained her GED through um, the DUI court program because it was required. I am the worst administrative assistant any church could ever hire <laughs> because I'm constantly having to use spell check. And I really, honestly, I struggle. Um, I do have like a learning disability and I do struggle. So for somebody like me to sit down and write a book, one of the chapters needed zero editing. This came to me earlier today. I can't, I'm glad it came back to me. I was like, I need to mention this because that is proof to me that that is the Holy Spirit. How can you write an entire chapter without a single edit needed? I, I gave it to Dr. Chapman. It was an add-on. It was an afterthought. He goes, it's a great book. Let's start talking to publishers. And I was like, no, I was praying and I heard that voice. And I was like, I heard relapse and relapse prevention. And I think it's missing from this book. I think it's really missing. He was like, okay, we'll try and write a chapter and get back to me. Let me know. And I, I did, I followed it and I went on a trip home. I had some quiet time. I wrote it like flowed effortlessly. I sent it to the editor. I sent it to Dr. Chapman. Not, they're both very, you know, rigorous and, they're, and very um, skilled and had no changes. It was within me through, I believe, through the Holy Spirit. It was pouring out of me onto the pages because not because I need to be some perfect writer that wrote a perfect chapter so I could go on a, a podcast with you two wonderful people and brag about how great I am. It's because there's somebody who's going to turn to page 70, 70, whatever the page is, and read every single word that is written on there and and, and grow from it and heal from it that's how it works it's really cool yeah it's, yeah absolutely it's so awesome thank you um, melissa thank you so much for coming on today because you know i think our our ministry patrick Hart ministry is uh you know we we, we talk uh, our tagline is very simply sowing hope into broken hearts so you know the very first two yeah. uh, the very first two words are you know our our podcast name but the rest of the tagline is uh, into broken hearts and uh, you know you have an amazing story, uh, and and you know I can just tell you the Holy Spirit's working so powerfully in your life, uh, and and mm -hmm. so thank you for those uh, sharing those little God winks with us because um, you know about your perfect chapters you know coming from imperfect people uh, is is right up our alley here, and I think there are so many uh, different ways that young people and all people can you know learn from you and grow from you uh, and, and and grow from this book. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's, uh, you know, you mentioned that this as well, and maybe, you know, focus a little bit on this as well, um, that this is written for the non-addict, right, to help understand the addict's, you know, you know, behavior and mind as well. Like, this helps all people. And so, you know, maybe, uh, you know, share with, you know, those people who, who haven't experienced what you've walked through. Um, you know, obviously, you give them a good, you know, walking through it uh, in a mile in your shoes, but, but explain, you know, how you know, non-addicts uh, can come to a greater um, respect of what people are going through in their lives as they read this book and, and just, you know, maybe in general as well. Yeah. So you were breaking up, but mm -hmm. I think what I'm, I'm going to make an assumption and you correct me if I'm wrong with a thumbs down. <laughs> I believe that you're asking me to speak to the non-addict 
to um, help share with them. Okay, thumbs up. <laughs> okay. I did not, I began, okay, originally because an addict, so that's the first thing that I went to when I started um, writing was I got to reach out to the attic and I would envision to the, you know, somebody sitting in a recovery center or somebody who's thinking about it or somebody who um, is having a ba bad one day at a time and they need um, a little reprieve and they need, some, they need a friend. And so I was going to write this book as I am your friend, your forever friend, because it's in black and white and you can turn to it anytime you want. Um, but as I started writing, it very easily um, became written also to the loved ones of. And um, I think that that it is so important for the loved ones of the addict to know that they are just as important as the person that is trying to recover from addiction or that is still an active addiction. There are support groups and, and um, networks and, and resources out there for you because it is not one person that is um, ill. As much as we like to isolate and have the addiction be all about us and ourselves and our actions and our behaviors, it doesn't work like that. It is like a um, a vine and it gro addiction grows out and it touches and reaches everything around and affect everything around. And so the family members and the loved ones of um, walk through a a, a, um, a very dark and um, desperate, I was trying not to say desperate, but really it's a desperate journey of their own. Um, and so when you read the book, my hope was when I was writing it, that it would bring some light to the mind of an addict so you're not so confused about why would somebody continuously make choices that would harm themselves or others um, and i discuss about how it's a disease of addic addiction is a disease um it's a chronic disease and how it has to be managed like a disease and as soon as um you view it like that then you can find more acceptance with it because the behaviors are symptoms of that disease. Um, it the feedback that I'm getting from the non addicts is that it is life changing. Just it's not a long, overwhelming book, right? It's very small. It's I wrote it small on purpose. It's got um, it's got a big impact message though, and the message in it to the non addict is that what we are, what, what addicts look like, what we are, what are we thinking, what are we feeling, and that there is hope that we can recover and that we do recover. And their role in it is to support us with boundaries, you know, and to love us through it and to, you know, pray, pray for us, but to also take care of themselves and know that their place in it is not to control or try and fix the addiction, that it is um, to walk with compassion as you would with somebody that has cancer or, or diabetes or some of the other diseases that I compare addiction to. And um, my prayers, I have, you know, different times throughout the day, I pray for the addiction community and my some of my strongest prayers are for the loved ones and family members and friends of uh, addicts 
there are there the amount of pain guilt shame heartache um feelings of, of uselessness i could go on and on those things that you're walking through and that you're feeling you are not alone you have if there is one addict there are at least 10 or 20 of you out there around that addict feeling that same way you there are communities that can be there to support you and help you and um you are beautiful people you're beautiful souls that feel just as lost and broken as the addict and there's hope and healing for you too i know that when god put the purpose of this book in my heart that he wanted healing for all it became very evident as i started reading writing the book that love one another doesn't mean love another addict it means love all of his people and everybody that is suffering and struggling through that we can the unity will hold us together and and find healing through that so when the addict is working through their addiction and the loved one of the addict is um, walking through acceptance with that addiction and walking with compassion and love and taking care of their own needs through healthy boundaries the end result can be a, a very beautiful thing and it's achievable it can be done mm. Your story is wonderful. We're going to have to have you back again. <laughs> unfortunately, oh, yeah, unfortunately, our podcast is just uh, a little over a half hour. Okay. Um, but if you have any final words, um, maybe we can think about having you back again. What would be your final words before we end? I just want to tell everybody I am so grateful to be alive, to be here and be sharing my journey and my story. You know, my connection with the two of you is a gift. It's beautiful. The work that you do um, is very rigorous and, and hard work. I, I do, you know, I know that. And so your listeners are very blessed and, and um, should be honored to have that the tools and things that you offer them. And I'm just grateful to be a, a little blip in all of that stuff that you do. Anybody that I've connected with here today, I hope that you'll read the book. I hope that you'll reach out to me. You know, you, you'll find on there where you can get in touch with me if you have any questions. Um, I'm just enjoying life, walking with gratitude, and um, my prayers are with everybody in the addiction community, and um, that's it. I'm just so grateful, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Melissa. Well, we'll have to have you back again. I'd love Thank you. you, Bill, too. <laughs> absolutely. And folks, Thank uh, you, Bill. Absolutely. And folks, uh, until next time, from all of us here at Patch with Art Ministry, may God bless you and keep eating to your Catholic Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2. The Shroud of Turin is one of the most researched and studied relics in church history and profoundly impacts many who encounter its mystery. As a person of faith, looking at it through the eyes of faith, um, I don't think it can help but, uh, but touch your heart. 
something that we can look on, not only to bolster our faith in those moments of weakness, but also to deepen our faith and our appreciation, our intimacy with Christ. Join Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry as they examine the science of the shroud through the lens of faith. Really interesting scientific information that I, we didn't know about, uh, like the pollen from all the different regions of the world. This, as the shroud traveled around, it picked that up. Some of the mites, uh, things like that was really interesting to me. I mean, it, it's made you really want to believe it a lot more. It's impressive. Like, humanly, I don't think, like, that is another level of love. It's not a... a, a and she was like, oh, I love you, I'll give you a chocolate. No, I'm giving you more than my life. I'm giving you my suffering. Asking both experts and disciples, who do you say I am? Um, as far as who the man of the shroud is, I, as a, as a person of faith and kind of reviewing the evidence there, it, it seems that a convincing argument can be made that it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Visit patchworkheart.org slash shroud to learn more and get exclusive behind-the-scenes updates for your support.